0: one of us even when we don't deserve it even when we don't measure up lord we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives today in jesus name amen thank you for worshiping with us you may be seated in life we all step up to the plate hoping to hit a home run in our marriage business our family What if the key was following a simple pattern, four words, four life-changing principles? There's only one way to get power at the plate. Connect with God. Once you trust God, you're able to win battles within yourself. Securing your identity, winning relationships with others is next. Rounding third means winning results in whatever you do. Excellence matters. God created this game plan, a pattern different from the world, so that we can have the full life the intended. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to Northridge. I am glad that the sun's shining, as Ryan said. I mean, it's like... You know, when you have that taste of 70s and then it drops back to 50 and we start raining again, it's like, whoa, what's going on here? So thank you for being here today. We are in the fifth and final week of Home Run Life. So we, this is the end of our series that we've been in. Uh, but first, before I get into all that and the message and everything else, uh, for those of you who are brand new here today, I know that several of you are brand new, never been here before, welcome to you. We're glad to have you here uh, and we want you to know that this is a safe place for you you, no matter where you're at with God, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God. Maybe even if you're here and you say, I'm not even sure if I believe in God. We want you to know this is a safe place for you to ask questions. What does this mean to follow Jesus on a regular daily basis. And that's what we're here about here at Northridge. So um, let me review real quick because this is one of those series that we really need to know. That video talked about all those bases. So we've covered all those bases and we're now back at home plate today. We're going to talk about crossing home plate, but let's review where we've been so that we know where we're going today. All right. So uh, the basic gist is everybody wants a home run life. Everybody on this planet wants a home run life. We all want the best life possible. And did you know that God wants the best life possible for you as well? Now, home run life has four parts. Now, everybody might describe this a little bit differently depending on who you talk to, but every home run life has four parts to it. You have to begin and end with God. You have to begin and end by answering that question. How did I get here? Where am I going? Right. How did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? You have to answer those basic life questions, regardless of who you think God is or whether you believe in God. We have to answer those questions. What's our purpose here on this earth? All right. So we begin in with God. That's home plate. Then first base is character. This is where we win within. This is integrity, honesty. This is where we live, who we are supposed to be, who God made us to be. Okay. This is where we win within in our character. That will give us the power to win with others. That is second base, win with others in our relationships, in our family, our neighborhood, and our co- uh, co-workers, everything. This is where we win in our relationships, win with others. Then third base is competence. This is where if you connect with God, you win within in your character and you win in your relationships. Then God will begin to show you unbelievable fruit and success in all areas of your life, not just in your career. Right? We usually think of success as something attached to our job or a career. That's fine, but don't we want success in every area of life? How many of you want to, you want to have great success in your career, but you want to fail in your family? How many of you hope to do that? Right? No, we don't. We want success in all areas of life. And this is where God takes us if we kind of follow this thing. And then we come back to home plate. Everything begins and ends with God. And this is where we achieve significance in our life, which means our life has impact beyond our life on this planet. And so uh, the main thing with this is, of course, that we've talked about a lot in this series, is that running the bases in order matters, right? The red arrows, what are the red arrows? The red arrows show us what the world teaches us to do. The world, our culture teaches us to run the bases backwards. That's what our culture tells us. You watch TV, you watch the news, you see commercials, you see how people act on sitcoms, All everything that you see, everything that our culture preaches is chase third base. Get success, win as much as you can, get as much money as you can, grab, 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 go, go, go. Make sure you take everybody and squash everybody in the process. Third base is where you win. That's what our culture teaches us. So we run the bases backwards. And then the problem with that is that if we are chasing third base, you know what we have to do? You have to, in order to chase third base, you have to cheat second base. You have to cheat first base. And you have to cheat home plate. You can't run to third and think that you're still hitting home plate first and second. And we've got a world full of people running to third. And you know what happens when you run to third? You get thrown out. And so this is the basis for everything that we've been talking about in life, that we can't chase third base. But God has designed you and me, every person on this planet, to run the bases in the correct order, okay? And the world, even though they teach us to do it differently. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about crossing home plate. How do we find significance in our life? How do we make sure that our lives here on this planet last way beyond the impact of our lives, last way beyond when we're gone, okay? We're going to talk about that today. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you like to follow along on your phone or in your Bible, go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Let me just set it up. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter. That's what 2 Corinthians is in. It's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, okay? Now, let me give you some background on Paul. The Apostle Paul was a church planter. So I kinda I kinda get that, right? I'm kinda I'm kinda kindred spirit with him there. Uh, so he was a church planner. What he did is after he encountered Christ and he accepted Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, became a Christian, he started to go around and travel around the whole Mediterranean Sea world, and he began to lead people to Jesus. They started coming to Christ all over the place. And so he would go to a community, another community, another community, another community, and he would leave, and when he would leave, there'd be a small group or sometimes a large group of people people who had accepted Christ and started and put their faith in Jesus. So he would go on to the next place. And guess what? That group of people would need to keep meeting together. You know what that became? That became the early churches. Now, just to prove to you, you know what I say all the time, Northridge Church is not a building. It is not an hour on a Sunday. Remember, I tell you this all the time. The reason we know that is because the first churches started with no buildings they met inside houses, or they met in the courtyard, or they met in the field, out in the olive grove, wherever they could. And they would get together, and they would study and, and, and talk about who Jesus is, and they would worship, and they would get together, and that's what they would do. Okay? Now we have buildings, right? And we kind of attach, and we say, well, where is your church? Well, that's really a, a wrong problem. You should be asking, who is your church? Because a church is a group of people. That's all a church is, and that's all it was ever meant to be. And you'll guys, uh, once we get to the end of the message, you'll kind of see how this is true. And so Paul would start these groups of people who became churches in these different communities. And so what happened was he started this one church, this one group of people in a city called Corinth. Okay, it's in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, or not in the Mediterranean Sea, that'd be awkward. You know, it was Atlantis. Now, what do you know? Um, So we found it. Um, No, Corinth was uh, right on the base of the Mediterranean Sea. And, And there's a group of people in this group who claimed to follow Jesus, but they didn't. They were liars. They were hypocrites. And so what they started to do is they were selfish. And so they started to lead this group of people, the church, away from Jesus. And they started to basically defame or discredit the Apostle Paul and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He said he thinks he knows Jesus, all that stuff he doesn't. And so they started to lie to the people and they began to twist Christianity. Okay, So the Apostle Paul had to write a letter. Right. Remember, he can't call him up on his iPhone. Right. Doesn't exist. Okay? He can't he can't instant messenger you know, or Facebook messenger them. He, he can't do that because it doesn't exist. And so he either has to go to them in person. But the problem is he's hundreds of miles away. It's going to take days and days to travel there. Or he can write a letter and send it by courier. Okay? That's what he's going to do. So he writes a letter. It becomes the book that we know as Second Corinthians. And what Paul writes about in there is he writes about who he is as a follower of Christ. And he writes about what a true follower of Christ should look like, what we should be, how we should live if we're a follower of Christ. So so basically, Paul is trying to prove who he is as a Christian. Now, let me illustrate this. In this world, if you are a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times when you have to prove who you are. There are going to be times when you have to prove that you really mean what you say you mean. That you believe what you say you believe. You're going to have to put up or shut up, as I would say. You're going to have to prove it. Now, uh, let me give you an illustration of this. We all know that this happens. The world discredits us all the time. Okay, how many of you remember a few years ago, uh, the NASCAR driver? Anybody ever heard of Jeff Gordon? Okay, yeah, pretty famous. Okay, NASCAR driver, famous driver, amazing driver, has won unbelievable amounts of races, all kinds of stuff, because he drives like nobody else. He's just amazing. Well, Pepsi contracted with him to do this stunt video, all right? And what they they did is they dressed him up so he didn't look like Jeff Gordon, and he went to a car salesman, (laughs) and he decided to do a test drive with this car salesman, right? And so he gets in the car, and then, of course, he's driving, and then Jeff Gordon does, so only—they kind of closed off a course, right? So there's nobody else driving on it. And they went out there, and they just freaked this car salesman out like crazy because Jeff Gordon just hammered it. He's like—he's flying around corners— well, there's a bunch of people that watched that video and laughed at it. I thought it was pretty funny, but there were a lot of people that said that video is fake. They faked that video. Jeff Gordon can't drive that well, uh, uh, even if it's on a closed course or what, whatever. They said he can't drive that way. He's not that good. And so Jeff Gordon and Pepsi decided to do something to prove that Jeff Gordon was really that good. And so there was this one guy named Travis. He's a journalist, and he was one of the most outspoken critics of Jeff Gordon. He said, there's no way that videos, they faked everything. It's, it's not real. So they set him up. <laughs> I love this. So they dressed up Jeff Gordon again, put him in a taxi cab. Then they, con- they got Travis to call a cab. And guess who's driving the cab? <laughs> Jeff Gordon. This guy who's been an open critic of Jeff Gordon and his driving abilities. Okay, So now, Travis gets into this cab. Jeff Gordon is the driver, but he doesn't know it's Jeff Gordon. He thinks it's just any old taxi driver. You guys want to see it? Yeah, me too. Alright, let's watch it. Hey Travis. I'm Travis. Would you buckle that seat out for me? State law, you know. Are you from New York? Well, I'm from New i actually I'm from New Jersey. I did some time from, with a guy from Jersey one time. No, sir. Please. I can't sir. go back, man. Sir. Sir. Back. Sir. Sorry. Stop. 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 I can't. Stop. 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 Please stop. I can't please. do it. Please. No. 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 Oh, go back, man. I'm sorry. You have to admit that's good, right? That's good. That's good stuff. So do you think Travis believed in Jeff Gordon's driving skills at that point? Yeah. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. You say you're a Christian. People want to see if it's real. Are you proving it every day that you're a Christian? Because it does not matter what you say. It does matter how you live. Just like that, sometimes we're going to have to prove it. In fact, a lot of times we're going to have to prove it on a daily basis. And so this is what Paul is writing about. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. He's proving who he is. He's saying, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Okay. we're going to start with verse 13. This is what Paul writes. He says, if it seems we are crazy Christians, (laughs) if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He, Christ, died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So here in these verses, Paul is basically, what he's doing is is he's trying to explain to you and to I and to these people who are twisting Christianity, he's trying to explain to them, this is what a true follower of Christ looks like. They do not live for themselves. You guys are trying to twist and and manipulate these people to make them like you want them to be because you want them to be this way. He said, that is not a Christian. A Christ follower is lives their lives in such a way, they give their lives away in such a way so that people are so attracted to that that they want what the love of Jesus is. And that's what these verses are talking about. So let me give you two things that are contained in these verses and the next couple of verses, two things that we need to realize as followers of Christ, as Christians. Okay? The first thing is we need to be compelled by the love of God. We need to be compelled by his love. Okay. If you go back to another verse, uh, verse 14, this is what Paul says. Okay. You probably caught this. Christ's love controls us. That's what it says. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, for every person, we also believe that we have died to our old life. Okay. So, so if you look up actually this, this is the NLT. If you look at the NIV, it says Christ's love compels us. Okay. Now, if you take the original Greek word that they use there, and you look at the original Greek word and you translate that out, the literal translation of this Greek word means controls. Okay. So not only is compels, I think compels is a strong word, but this, this, this version uses controls. Okay. Christ's love literally controls us. So let me explain how this works. When you or I, anybody, when we accept Jesus, when we become a follower of Christ, a Christian, Okay, we do two things simultaneously. The first thing that happens when we bring Christ into our life, when we accept Jesus, the first thing that happens is and the Bible declares this, we gain freedom from sin, right? Have we heard all we probably have heard that, right? We gain salvation from sin. We get the freedom from sin, we get the free, the freedom from the effects of sin. Romans says the wages of sin is death. We get freedom from eternal separation from God when we accept Jesus, right? We get freedom from sin. But then there's a second thing that happens when we accept Christ. And this is the one that a lot of Christians sometimes forget. We gain freedom from sin, but when we do that, we chain ourselves to Jesus and his love. Did you know that? We gain freedom from sin, but then we lock ourselves in, arm in arm, and we, we are yoked together. You know the yoke with the oxen? Okay, we are yoked together with Jesus. His love now controls us. This is why if you find a follower of Christ who hates people, it's quite possible they're not a follower of Christ. You know how I know that? Because of this verse and a lot of other verses in the Bible. Because this verse tells us that Christ's love, if we have Christ in us, that His love will control us and that we will love people regardless of who they are. And this is a big deal, isn't it? So we need to be compelled. We need to be controlled by the love of Christ. But then there's a second thing in there. All right, let's go to the next verses. The the next thing is that we not only need to be controlled by the love of Christ, we need to be his ambassadors. Okay, we need to be his ambassadors. Um, Verses 18 through 20. This is the very next couple of verses after what we just read. Listen to what Paul says. He says, in all of this, freedom from sin, Christ's love controlling us, All of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, this mission, you could put in there, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, catch this last verse, verse 20. So we, all of us, if we're followers of Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So what is this saying? What this is saying is that Christ's love needs to control us. So, how we operate, how we treat people, how we view people, how we operate in daily life, at our job, in our home, in our family, all that kind of stuff, all this, Christ's love needs to control us. But then there's a secondary thing to that that's just kind of, you know, right there with it. And it is that we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, what is an ambassador? Right, We hear this, this term tossed out. We kind of think, okay, an ambassador is somebody that goes on behalf of a nation usually. right? This is somebody that's sent out on behalf of a nation. And that's true, but let me, let me give you the basic, basic, basic definition. The basic definition of an ambassador, somebody who is an ambassador, is somebody who has been given power, given authority by somebody else to speak and act on their behalf. Isn't that what an ambassador does? Right? That's what an ambassador is. Really, when uh, we have these titles and there's this such and such and we do pomp and status and all of stuff, but really when we boil it down, an ambassador, all an ambassador does is an ambassador is somebody given power and authority by somebody else to speak and act on their behalf. Did you know that you are on this planet for the sole purpose of being an ambassador for Christ? for Jesus on a daily basis. That is your role. That is your purpose. That is your thing. And so this is what this is talking about, that we need to have Christ's love controlling us and that we need to act and live and and, and behave according to the laws and according to the ways of Christ, because that is the ultimate goal that is above all other goals, above all other goals in life. Now, You might be here and you might be wondering, okay, good. But what does that really mean? Right. In other words, how I would say I just mentioned this phrase earlier this morning. So what? Right. So what? The, The question becomes, so what? What does that mean for you and I? Because it's great to listen to it on a Sunday morning. But when we leave this this room, right, we need to go out. We need to be ambassadors. So what does it mean for us? Well, let me unpack the practical look of this. Okay, now this is going to sound counterintuitive to what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. But just follow me all the way to the end and it'll make sense. Okay, for the last four weeks, I've been telling you that we need to live our lives running the bases in order. Yes, okay, home plate, first base, get our character, then our relationships, we will win our relationships, then we'll find success in all areas of life, and then we're back to home plate where we find our significance with God. Okay? That is the way that we need to operate in life. I'm not going to change that. That's exactly how we need to do. But can I tell you that as an ambassador of Christ, as an ambassador, we need to work the bases backwards in order to f- help people come to Christ and find the love and forgiveness of Jesus. We actually have to work backwards on the bases. Okay, let me explain. Okay? Let's go back to the baseball diamond. The baseball diamond, right? We have the four bases. We have home plate, first, second, third. Okay. The church, and I'm not talking about just Northridge. I'm talking about all the body of Christ. I'm talking about all believers everywhere. The church is what God has set up as the hub of what he wants to do. Okay. The church is the hub, is the, is the center of everything that God wants to do in this world. The church, God has made the church the hub of that. Okay, Now watch what happens. There are tons of streams of influence in every church. Okay? Just like at Northridge, in fact, the, the streams of influence. Let me, let me give you seven streams of influence that exist here in this church at Northridge. Right now, in fact, even in this room. I've kind of been taking stock as you guys are walking in. Okay? There are seven streams of influence. Now, uh, there are a lot more than seven streams. I just, for sake of time, otherwise I'd keep you past lunch. And you guys don't want that, I'm sure. All right? So there are seven streams. Let me just highlight seven streams of influence that exist here at Northridge. Okay. First one would be our business community. Okay. Maybe you're in business uh, of some kind and you're in the business community. Okay. We have a lot of people here at Northridge that are in the business community. Some of you are in the education stream of influence. Your teachers, uh, your administrators, your school counselors or guidance counselors or anything like that. Okay. You're in the education stream of influence. We have people here in the government stream of influence. You work in, in local government or state government or even federal government. Uh, maybe you work in social work. Well, all that kind of thing. Okay? Government area, stream of influence. Health and medical. This is a big one, right? Uh, doctors, nurses. We have all the full gamut there here at Northridge. Okay? Health and medical area, huge area. Entertainment and arts industry. Okay? This would be a- anything that, you know, drama, music, any of the art stuff. Okay? We have people that are in the, uh, in the entertainment arts uh, industry. Media. This could be news, newspaper. Uh, This could be social media. This could be marketing. Okay, But a lot of people are in the media stream of influence. Sports and athletics. We have actually, did you know that we have a couple people who uh, here at Northridge who have been in the professional sports arena? They're way better at sports than I am. Way better than I am. Okay, They aren't currently, they aren't anymore. They've kind of retired out of that. But they were in the professional sports arena. And we have several that are coaches and all kind of stuff. So we're in that stream of influence. Now, again, there are a lot more streams of influence than these seven. Way more than this. But just to look at those seven, which encapsulates a ton of people on this planet. This is what's interesting. And maybe you've never thought about this. But the church is the one place on this planet that on a consistent, regular basis... Now, this might happen every now and then in other places... But on a consistent, weekly, regular, almost daily basis, all of these streams of influence come together in one place, at one time, for one purpose. And that is to worship Jesus. If that's not amazing to you, nothing ever will be. Every stream of influence, getting along, focusing on the same thing, to honor Christ... And then you know what happens after we come into the hub and we get that? Then God wants us not to stay here, right? We're not going to hang out here for the rest of the week, right? And you guys are thankful for that. You'd have to hear me a lot, right? We're not going to stay here. We're not here the rest of the day. We're not here through Friday. Okay, if I show back up on you know Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, and you guys are still here in the same clothes, I'll be like, what is going on? It'd be weird because we're not supposed to stay in the hub We're supposed to be the hub and go and spread the hub out into our various streams of influence. We are ambassadors in all of these streams of influence and far more. And so this is what it's talking about. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we operate as ambassadors, as Christ's messengers in the world in these streams of influence? How do we do that? Very, very practical, very easy steps we need to work the bases backwards we don't need to live the bases backwards if you start chasing third base then you will find that you'll cheat all the other bases and everybody you'll just be like everybody else in the world but we need to work the bases backwards because you know where the best place is to find people who don't know christ yet It's you need to find third base (laughs) and you need to find them there at third base uh, or them chasing third base. And then you need to show them, hey, there's a different way. Now, let me show you how to how to do this. We start once again at home plate. John 316. Guys have probably heard of that one, right? Most famous verse in the Bible. We hold up signs at football and baseball games all the time. Love it. Actually, it's kind of passe. I think it was like John 316. I'm like, I don't know that anybody knows what that is. Right. But John 3.16, what does John 3.16 say? It says, for God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he did what? He gave. He gave Jesus. This is our first and foremost priority as followers of Christ, and that is home plate, we give. We start to be givers. Okay, show me people, show me a person who is more of a giver than a taker, And I will show you a person who has health all the way around their life. You know why? Because people gravitate around them. How many of you hope that you find takers and you find takers who take from you all the time? You're like, man, I love those people. Or is it the other way? Grit your teeth when you think about them. Yeah, we all know that. Why do we gravitate toward people who are givers? Because we know their heart is good. And so how do we start showing people that we care? We start by giving our money, our time, our resources, our skills to help them out. We start by being givers. Then what do we do in our workplace, in our career where our competence matters? Well, we need to get better. We need to get better. Okay, Why do we need to get better in our job? Catch this. This could be very easily twisted. Very easily. In fact, we do it all the time. We twist it just a little bit just to make it. We get better at our job so that we make more money. Can I tell you that the reason you're, you need to get better at your job, get better at your skill, get better at whatever it is, whatever your stream of influence is, the reason you need to get better is so that people respect you, so that they see that following Christ is by far the best way to go. It's not so that you can make more money. Do you see the slight difference there? And it is slight. But the difference is huge. So we need to get better because here's the deal. Let me ask you this a couple of questions because some of you maybe are not convinced of that yet. OK, God wants you to be the best that you possibly can be at your stream of influence, whether it's medical field, education, entertainment, arts, media, sports, athletics, whatever. God wants you to be the best. You can be in that. Not so you can make boatloads of money. Although, let's be honest, if you're going to be really good in that, that's just an extra blessing that God gives. Right, because if you're really good in this, you're probably going to make a boatload of money. But here, that's not the reason. The reason is because how many of you hope that you work with coworkers or that you, if you're a hiring person, if you're the boss, how many of you want to hire employees that are, their goal is to do the worst job possible? Like if you interview them and they say, you know, really, what are, what are some of your goals? My goal is to be as lazy as I can be. Like, that, that's my goal. How many of you in the interview process, like, if they're completely serious, it's not joking like I am right now, right? It's not like tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. It's like, they're really, I want to be as lazy as possible. I really want to do my job poorly, worse than everybody else. That's my goal. How many of you be like, hire that guy? Hire that gal? They're awesome. No, of course not. How many of you want to go to a, a, a conference where the expert, the keynote speaker has failed at every single thing they've ta- they're talking about? How many of you would pay for that, like 400 bucks to go to a conference and say, uh, okay, guys, I'm going to get up here. I'm the keynote speaker. I have failed at everything I'm going to talk to you about. So let's talk about how to do that. How many of you would sign up for that? How many you pay for that? How many of your bosses would send you to that conference? No, we wouldn't. Okay, here's the deal. We need to get better in our stream of influence so that people realize that we are serious about doing life correctly and better So they will respect us and hear us. Because let's be honest, I can talk to I'm blue in the face about how much Christ loves them and how much you should follow Jesus. But if I'm a lazy jerk at work, let's be honest, they want nothing to do with Jesus. Isn't that true? Why would they want Jesus if you're a selfish jerk? (laughs) Right? They're not going to want that. They're going to be like, well, I don't want to be like that. So I want nothing to do with your Jesus. Right. That's that's kind of. Have you heard that language? I want nothing to do with your Jesus. Maybe that's why. So we need to give. We need to get better. Then what that will lead us to is we will need to realize then go into second base that we need to add value to people, that we need to add value to people. And, and guess what? When you add value to people's lives, they are going to start to value you. Did you know that it's kind of like this giving? It, you can kind of tell there's a pattern here: give, get better, and add value. As you do this, people will want to be around you. They will, you will be attractional to them. They, they will just they will not want to not be around you because you, you're just going to be so attractive to them. Your personality, who you are, and all that kind of stuff. And it's not like about being like exuberant and the life of the party and all that kind of stuff. People see through that. We know that, right? When the person comes in, like yeah, well, I'm here. Like, here we go, life of the party, blah, blah, blah. And we don't say that to them because they're the life of the party. But what everybody knows underneath is it's pretty shallow. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about genuinely giving in secret to them. Adding value to them where you're not saying, Hey, everybody, I want to add value because I'm an awesome person. But here's an awesome person, too. But that we add value to them. Quietly, genuinely. And guess what? When we add value to people, this is what will happen. It takes us to character. It takes us to the first base, and they will invite us in to their personal life. We will become friends with them, and they will become friends with us. You know why? Why do we become friends with anybody? Because we know that we can genuinely trust them. Isn't that why you hang out with certain people? There are some people that you can't trust. There are some people that you can And the people that we genuinely trust, we know that they know who we are, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, everything in between, and we know that they're still going to care about us. If you give to people and you get better and you respect yourself and your job and God enough to get better and do the best you can and you add value to the people, then you will become a part of their personal life. And guess what will happen? They will learn that you genuinely care about them. Here's why this is scary. Maybe this is why we don't do it. We don't want people to find out that we actually don't care about them. And so we don't do this process because the truth is we're not not sure if we really do care. And you know what? People find that out. And so then we never get to that personal life stuff. But if we do, I think we're going to find out that the people that we're in relationship with, they struggle with the same things that we do. Did you know that people struggle with the same things in life? Stress and worry and doubt and... Faith and everything. And so what happens is when they invite you into the personal life they will start to ask questions and you can then point them back to home plate and they'll say you need to know about the love of God. And I want to show you that what I'm trying to do I'm not doing it perfectly but I'm trying to run the bases in the correct order. Would you join me? Now how powerful is that? Because here's what we could do. We could knock on a door and say, Hey, uh, so my pastor said I'm ambassador. I've been given the power of Christ. Um, So I know we don't know each other well, but uh, I think you need to follow Jesus. What do you think? Can I share it with you? How many of you think that that's going to go real well? Now, if God tells you to do that, let me tell you, it's going to go well. Because God told you to. God has made me branch out and do uncomfortable things where I didn't feel like I had the relationship to do it yet. But God knew better than I did. However, a lot of the time, how we need to make sure we operate in our streams of influence is, did you know that your job is not your purpose? Your purpose is through your job as an ambassador. And so what this means is your stream of influence is there to add value to people, to give to them, to get better at what you do so that they will invite you into their personal life. Now, this is not a system. This is not a ministry. This is not a, I'm not saying, okay, let's all get this on paper and make sure we start working the deal, guys. That's manipulation. We are not manipulating people. You hear me? Because a lot of Christians do this. We are not manipulating people. Here's what we are doing. We are genuinely giving. We are genuinely getting better. We are genuinely adding value to them because we genuinely need to care about them. And then we will show them where that love and that genuine care comes from. And they will want that. Does that make sense? And so we need to live the bases forward, but we need to work the bases backwards as we connect with people because everybody else is running to third base. Have you noticed that? Everybody else is running to third base. That's why we're but we can't stay over on first and second and be doing all this and saying, hey, we are Christians. We are good. And leave everybody else to run the third base by themselves and get thrown out. When you start helping them to see that running the bases correctly is the only way. So here at Northridge, we talk about something called the 167. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this tonight at the dream big meeting, by the way, quick thing. The Dream Big meeting tonight at six o'clock. Please be there. Okay, we're going to share some of you know the things that we're doing with. Uh, if you don't like to know kind of the inner workings and details, that's fine. But we're going to kind of you know go through the budget. We'll go. We'll talk a little bit about some of the forward movement, some of the stuff that we're excited about. Uh, I, I want to hear from you guys on a couple of things. It'll just be quick, okay? But come for that. But uh, one thing that I'm going to talk about is the 167. Every person in here has 168 hours in your week. I have the same as you. You have the same as me. We all have 168 hours starting this week. We spend about an hour of it here on a Sunday or on a weekend, and that's great. But we're left with 167 other hours. Can I tell you what your mission is? Your mission, as you leave this door, is to be immediately to be an ambassador. Because people will watch you. People will hear you. People will listen to you. And, and even if you don't, aren't aware of it, they are knowing how you live your life. And so when you leave here, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are on mission immediately. The 167 is in full effect as soon as you leave. This is why we have the hub, so we can get excited here and then go out. So the question I have for you, and I'll leave it with you for this. What are you doing to fulfill your mission as an ambassador of Christ? In your stream of influence? What are you doing? Maybe even a better question if you're not doing anything, what will you do to fulfill the mission as an ambassador of Jesus Christ as you leave here? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for trusting us with such a critical mission. I thank you for trusting us enough that you would allow us, that you would desire us, that you would even command us because you trust us so much. That you say you are to be my voice, my hands, my feet to the world. God, I pray for two things. One, I pray for the people in this room right here, right now. Some are skeptical. Some don't want to do it. Some don't really buy into this. I pray against that attitude in the name of Jesus right now. And I pray that you would help them to realize that as soon as they walk out these doors, as soon as they leave, and, and even right now, but, but it's harder when they leave. When they're gone, when they're at lunch today, when they're, when they're out in the world, when they're working their stuff and their streams of influence, when they're with their family and their neighborhood, all that kind of stuff, there's going to be situations where they're going to need to prove who they are. So I pray that you would make them strong and bold to be an ambassador And I pray for all the people, the hundreds of thousands of people that are impacted just by the people in this room, in our streams of influence. I pray for those people, all those people that we know that are not connected to God in any way. God, would you help them to be open to your truth, to your love, to your forgiveness? And may we as ambassadors do a really good job, the best job we can, to carry your name forward, to carry your name with us wherever we go and whatever we do. And may we live that way according to you. I ask this and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.